You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Hey, hey, this is Jess O'Reilly here, your friendly neighborhood sexologist here with the love of my life, my partner in crime, my way better half. He's terribly good looking with those baby blues. Brandon Ware. (laughs) I love that intro. It was great. Yeah, because you wrote it. (laughs) If I did, it would have been much longer and a whole lot funnier. Today, we're going to be talking about sex ed, blowjobs, crushes, and cheating clauses. What are cheating clauses? Oh, we're going to get to that. I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say, what's a (laughs) blowjob? No, no. You remember those, right? Yeah, I do remember those. Uh, thank you very much to Desire Resorts for your ongoing support of this podcast. Folks, check out Desire Experience. They've got cruises, clothing optional resorts. One of my favorite places to visit in the world. Let loose, relax, and really just let that sexual energy flow. Now, we are in sunny South Florida this week. I'm down here working on a video series, working on a new book that is due very soon with Marla Renee Stewart. It's all about seduction. It's the ultimate guide to seduction and foreplay. And we're enjoying our sunshine. It's been a little bit of a stressful week because Lido, our dog, as you know, if you listen, I hope you listen, uh, was diagnosed with cancer a couple months ago. And we've just been kind of scrambling to take care of her. And this is the first week where it's kind of settled in that we don't have too much time left with her. No, I think we should probably not talk about that. Keep things light and breezy. Yeah, light and breezy. (laughs) Well, I'm going to talk about something that maybe is not so light and breezy. But it's on my mind because I just found out this morning that I am shadow banned on Instagram. Uh, because my account gets reported all the time. I don't produce, pro- I don't post provocative photos or even sexy photos. It's mostly my face, Brandon's face, and the Lido's face and her little paws. But because people don't like that I talk about sex, they report me. And Instagram has shadow banned me. So these people who report me, they can send me harassing messages. And Instagram doesn't really do anything about it. It's interesting. I reported a guy who was sending me dick pics on Facebook the other day. And Facebook, I think the message said something like, uh, this account doesn't violate our terms of use. So this guy's allowed to send dick pics. But somehow, because I talk about sex and relationships... Uh, even though my account I didn't think violated their terms, none of my hashtags are showing up and my pictures aren't showing up in certain people's feeds and searches and all of my content is hidden from the hashtag. And if you know anything about hashtags, uh, it helps people to find your photos. So even people who follow me often don't see my photos or my videos. So if you follow me on Instagram, or if you don't, it's sex with Dr. Jess. If you have a minute, head over to my account. If you can comment on a photo or two, it should help me out. I think Insta thinks that I have bots commenting on my photos or that I'm a bot. Uh, It's hard to figure it out, but one-word comments aren't as good as, as a couple of words for some reason. So it's interesting. I was thinking that it's really a struggle to work in this field, as much fun as it is, because even though... I'm here and we're here trying to provide education and trying to help people to feel better about themselves. 
We face judgment and pushback at every turn because we live in a culture that is totally okay with depictions of violence, of of torture, of risk-taking and dangerous behavior like like shootouts or high-speed car chases and war, but the mere mention of sex, sex which, by the way, is the life force that keeps our planet populated, the mere mention freaks people out. And I had a, I had a post reporting on, reported on Facebook entitled something like Five Conversations to Deepen the Bond and Connection with Your Partner. Somebody reported that? Uh, multiple people, because Facebook said it violated their community standards. Yet, I see posts online every day that promote homophobia, racism, transphobia, misogyny every time I open my field feed. And I just want to remind people, I said we were going to start with sex ed, we're starting with sex ed. Because without sex, we wouldn't be here. Without sex, we wouldn't have computers. We wouldn't have surgical developments that save lives. We wouldn't have the internet that keeps us connected because people developed these technologies and these people are here because of sex. We treat this thing that is required in order for our species to survive like it's something scary. And this erotophobia, it not only affects my day-to-day life, right? I see it when I walk into a room and people judge me. They judge me because of my work. And I'll tell you, I can't wait to the day that I'm older and don't care and I speak up. But more importantly, Forget about me. Our fear of sex affects the health, the safety, the livelihood of every single one of us. Because when we don't talk about sex, and when we don't talk about sex with young people in particular, we're putting their lives at risk. Well, where do you want them to learn? Do you want them to learn from the Google? Do you want to, I I mean, young people today, they're going to find out one way or the other. So why not have healthy sources of information? I mean, that's the thing that kind of always blows my mind is I'm like, where do you think your kids are going to learn? And I, I, I know I'm walking a fine line here, but. Absolutely. If you don't answer questions, they will turn to YouTube. And YouTube leads you down other rabbit holes to multiple holes. So, you know, what we know is that research shows that sex education, talking about sex, is associated with improved academic achievement, greater gender equality, higher school attendance rates. We know that sex ed is associated with suicide prevention. Sex ed can dispel misinformation about sex that is spread by popular media. Done right sex ed can address the misogyny, the ableism, the ageism, the classism, the racism, and these depictions that we see in popular media. We know that Sex ed improves confidence, it decreases abuse, it helps people to live more fulfilling lives with happier relationships, it reduces STI transmission, reduces the risk of unplanned pregnancy, and it does this by increasing the likelihood that young people will either delay sex, use condoms, and or communicate about what they want and what they don't want. But somehow sex ed is framed as a controversial issue, a divisive issue a political issue. But sex ed is not a matter of politics or opinion or religion. It is a matter of life and death. And so I've come here from my shadow ban, but this all is interconnected. So please, I implore you, support sex ed, speak up, 
follow and support and engage with sex educators. Help us get unshadow banned. Rant over. Let's talk about blowjobs. Sounds good. All right. So I was sent an online survey yesterday that collected data from 1,100 European and American folks to get their take on giving and receiving blowjobs. Now, I talk a lot more about going down on the pussy, but this one's about blowjobs. And Brandon, I wanted to get your take because you've had a blowjob before, right? I have. Right. Uh, you like them? I'm a fan. <laughs> and so I think this this research survey, just so you know, is framed within the heterosexual context. So first they asked about how important blowjobs are in a sexual relationship. Hold on. Am I answering these questions? You're going to, yeah. Oh, okay. So do you consider a blowjob in terms of importance, not at all important, slightly important, somewhat important, moderately important, or extremely important. You can you can say that or you can give me a, a scale of one to ten. How important is a blowjob how in a sexual relationship? How important is a BJ? I don't know, man. I, I mean, I like a BJ. I don't think it's super important. I'm like a five, maybe a six. All right. So you, I think you fall in line with the average. So oh, okay. 35% of men, the biggest group of men in, in this survey, rated it as somewhat important. Only 16% said it's extremely important, and 9% said it's not, in, not at all important. Interesting. I think I offered you one yesterday, and you, you, you shooed me away. I was in a bad mood, man. He was in a bad mood. I was in a bad mood. <laughs> Terry Crews voice. All right, so it sounds like you're in line with the average. And that's what you've always wanted to be in life, average. Whew, thank goodness. <laughs> average. Um, they, 30% of men, however, said they might pick a blowjob over a penis and a vagina intercourse. Ooh, I'm the other way around. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Thank goodness. S- sorry, sorry about that. Because you can lie on your back for the PV sex. Can't really lie. Well, you can lie on your back, but that's a whole other thing. That is the giraffe position where you lie on your back on the edge of the bed. Your head falls off the edge of the bed. The person with the penis sh- is standing on the floor, shimmies over toward you, and gently slides it inside. That's the giraffe position. Now, next they asked about how long a blowjob should last. What, do, I, do I have options? No, just pick a number. Just pick a number. Um, personally, I don't like. I like it as foreplay, but I don't want it to last too long because I want to get to business. 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 Business man. I'm a business man. He's a business man. Okay. So, like, I, I don't know. Giving you a time frame, ninety seconds. Ninety seconds. Yeah, I know it's a long time. That is a that long. That is a long time. Well, that is way below what European men say they'd like it to last eight minutes and twenty seconds. American men say just under 10 minutes, 9 minutes and 59 seconds. Now, women... Hold, hold on, hold on. 9 minutes and 59 seconds? I know. Who, who, who comes up with this? They have no concept of time. Yeah, yeah, okay. Anyway. Uh, interestingly, European women, so in this case, presumably they're giving because it looks like it's a very hetero study said it should last nine minutes and 14 seconds. That's just because it feels like forever, guys. I'm like, I've been down here for a term. I've been down here for a presidential term. Is it over? And American women said 11 minutes and six seconds. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm just straight to business. Yeah. Okay, they also asked about swallowing. How important is swallowing to you? No, not that important. 
So 50% of men say it's not at all important, and only 4% say it's extremely important. Four percent are, are are quite passionate about how they feel. Well, it's interesting because if you if you watch, um, I don't know, some of you maybe by accident have have seen porn. What is this porn you speak right. of? Right, and yeah. in porn, they're always taking it in their mouth and swishing it around, and so I think there's this pressure that we should all like this, hmm. when in fact it seems that some people like it and some people don't. And I, I, I often talk about swallowing and. You know, my advice, of course, is if you want to swallow, swallow. And if you don't want to swallow, don't swallow. And if your partner gives you a hard time about swallowing, I prescribe the Spider-Man. You catch it and you fling it back at them. Nice. Yeah, you like that? Nice. Yeah, yeah. I always get some confused looks on that one. Um, Okay. In blowjobs, how much does eye contact matter? Do you want eye contact during a blowjob? Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Why not? Sure. Let's so, mix it up. So 72% of men say it's important and 42% of women. I thought you were going to say 72% say it's important and 42% it's not, <laughs> in which case the math does not add it's up. We're real good with <laughs> real numbers. Real good with the math. I'm a mathematician. Right All right. So you're not a blowjob expert. Hold on, though. No, I'm not. I have never given one. No. Nope. I have received one. Okay. So I can only comment on 50%. Of What's your best blowjob advice for you? We can only talk about your own penis. Don't talk about other people's penises. Only my own. Um, I, I'm just, I don't really, I don't know, have any advice. Like for me, go slow, I guess. Oh. I don't know. The slow this is, it's not a race, man. The slow job? The slow job, sure. If you don't know what the slow job is, I might have mentioned this before. You are moving your lips over the head, down the shaft millimeter by millimeter. Do Americans know what millimeters are? I think so. It's like one thirty second of an, of an inch, inch. Yes. at a time. And you are moving so slowly. And it makes this thing feel like it is the length of a python, the width of a fire hydrant. I don't know why really anybody wants that in their mouth. But it's just this really powerful experience if you can ever try a slow job. And if you want more blow job techniques compliment your partner oh i was gonna say check out my drive him (laughs) wild with pleasure video course yeah which does also reinforce complimenting your partner true yeah so i have a series of video courses available online so you can watch them learn from home Uh, more important than the blowjob one is the drive her wild with pleasure course where i walk you through a series of techniques A model demonstrates on a piece of fruit, and you practice at home. So please go check them out. Check out, um, they're on my website, or you can go to happiercouples.com. And you can watch these courses over and over again. And there's just so much to learn. Even when I review my own techniques, I'm like, oh, yeah, man, I remember that one. I'm going to go back to it. All right. Enough about blowjobs. I want to talk about another topic that has been on my radar this week. I had a young young couple wondering, is it okay to have a crush on someone else if you are married or partnered? So, Brandon, do you, do you get crushes on people? I'm not a crush guy. I think I was when I was like nine. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, lately, I'm not so much. But I do, I want to, like, I will see somebody and want to have sex with them. 
Yeah. But I don't get crushes. I don't know why. I'm just not, maybe I'm just not open to it. Hmm. Do you get crushes? I have in the past. I haven't had one in a while. Um, so unlike you, I don't just see someone and want to have sex with them. I have to like that person. And so part of the sexual attraction for me involves getting a little crush where I like them a little bit. So I don't, you know, dream of being with them. But I do find that I really have to like someone to experience not just attraction, but like excitement. And so in the past, um, yeah, I can think of the people I've had crushes on. I'm not sure I want to go into it right now. I think I would be nervous about you having a crush just because you've never talked about it. But I also, you know me, I, I kind of like the nervous feeling. Well, there's something more, emo- there's more emotional investment with a crush, right? Because you get to know the person. Like with me and my thoughts of having fleeting moments of fleeting thoughts of having sex with someone, I don't talk to them. I don't know anything about them. I'm just physically attracted to the person. I'm sure that once they start to talk to me, my mind may actually change as to whether or not I want to have sex with them. Well, actually, that's the summary of what a crush is. Like a crush is so alluring because you've got all these intense chemicals at play when you first meet, right? You've got this shift in serotonin, this bump in adrenaline dopamine, and all of these hormonal shifts have to do with not knowing them, right? Like this cascade of hormones results in you feeling kind of obsessed with them because you're idealizing them. And it's because, as you said, you don't really know them. And because you like them, your mind fills in all the blanks with perfection. So what you've really done with a crush is you've created a dream partner, like your ideal lover in your mind, and they don't actually exist. So once you get to know them, you might still like them, but you usually have a more realistic picture of them as a complete person and an imperfect person, and they tend to lose their allure. So when you are, first of all, it's okay to have a crush. It's very common to have a crush. Um, it's normal and it will pass. But I think it's important to understand that these these overwhelming feelings you're experiencing have to do with the novelty and the unknown. Sometimes we get a crush and it's so powerful that we think, oh my gosh, like am I missing out on something? Is this person the one? Am I with the wrong partner? Because I don't feel that way about my partner. But the allure is in in the novelty and the risk. And so you know, I actually have had clients come and say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to let go of this person. I really value my marriage. Do you tell them just to talk to them more? Exactly. <laughs> Get to know them. Um, and then, and I also say, make a list of all the things you love about them and all the things you don't know about them. And the reality is that second list is going to be much longer because you just don't know much about them. The other piece is simply talking about it. When we have feelings that we associate with shame or guilt, we keep them secret. And when something's secret, it becomes all the more exciting, all the more enticing. So you might just tell a friend about it. Um, You know, of course, if it's someone you work with, because that's usually who we get crushes on is, you know, someone we're working with on the day to day, you can limit the amount of time you spend with them communicating because it's one thing to be together all day in the workplace. But can you not be texting, you know, and joking around online at night? Does that kind of go back to the whole work partner, like work husband, work wife, you know, this whole, do you think that people use the crush and then kind of go that route to validate 
their feelings or to to play into them a little bit more? Yeah, that's a good question because we've talked about the work spouse. So to give you a bit of context, and I was actually talking about this on global television last week, some people will joke that they have a work wife or a work husband or a work spouse. And Brandon, you've you've experienced this. I have. Yeah. Didn't like it. Somebody, Somebody called me that. No, totally did not. Got actually quite passionately passionately <laughs> against the whole idea. Yeah. It not pissed, to the, not to their face. It pissed you off. Yeah, it did. I have a partner. I don't need a partner at work. I have a partner that I've chosen to be with, and whether I'm at work or not, you're not my work partner. You're not. I don't know. I'm. You got your backup because I think you felt it invalidated everything we have. To use that type yeah, of yeah, and I also need to just let it go, right? Like I don't. There wasn't. I don't think there was necessarily any harm. I think it was meant done jokingly. But I can see how dropping that to somebody who you do have a crush on, and if they reciprocate, how that could escalate into something else. Right. So you're putting yourself on a risky playground. Well, yeah. I also think you're kind of testing the waters without testing the waters. Hmm. Right. Yeah, and I think that sometimes we use that type of language because we want special treatment. Like it's the idea that, oh, he'll get me a coffee or she'll, you know, bring me lunch. And you can engage in these kind gestures without there being a sexual or romantic connection. Or having a title like that. Right. Hmm. Right. Yeah, no, I know you don't like the work spouse jokes. No, and and I mean, this is just me personally. I don't know if you've had anyone call you I mean you you run your own company so yeah I, I definitely don't have don't anyone know. no one who works with me wants to be my work spouse <laughs> uh, so I, I again you know we're talking about our perspectives if your perspective is different of course that's okay you know another thing you can do if you have a crush is to introduce your partner to them because you might be crushing on this person as a form of escape from your kind of lived, predictable reality. And when you bridge those two worlds of fantasy and reality, it can help to put things in perspective and I think dull the sheen of that fantasy. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I also think, to your point, the less you know about somebody, the more it becomes a fantasy. And fantasy is is exciting. I mean, for me, the less I know about somebody, the the more I could fantasize about them. Sexually. Sexually, yeah. Because I think, like you said, you can fill in the gaps. Once somebody, you get to know them and they start falling short in some some area, I think immediately you're, you know, the, the fantasy becomes less enticing. Yeah, I, I'm, I have a different balance than you because I do need to know them and like them a little bit. And then, yeah, if I push over that hump and really get to know them, <laughs> inevitably they become less attractive. I mean, I know some of the people that you have had crushes on since we've been together. And I think, um, you know, at, at the mom- in the moment, when you first find out about it, I mean, it is a little unnerving. I think if you haven't had this discussion before or if you aren't comfortable with it. But once, like for me, once I understood that it was just that, I mean, it, it's it's a crush, it's fleeting, It fades it also isn't something that you wanted to pursue you know maybe you could have fun with it maybe you could you know you could learn to let it go if if it's really bothering you but again having that conversation I think really helped make me feel more comfortable anyways well that's interesting because this young couple was asking uh, one of them was asking should I even tell my partner and I think I think it ultimately depends on your relationship I think some people are very open about attraction whether it be sexual or emotional. 
and others really consider all outside sources of of excitation a threat to the relationship. So I think for some of us, talking about a crush can not only help to cool the feelings of desire and attraction, but it can be hot because it's a bit taboo and for, forbidden. And for others, it, it can be a problem. And then you also have to think, okay, are you flirting with this person? Because for me, flirting is is quite acceptable in this relationship. It's up to us to really decide what our decide what our boundaries are. But you do have to be aware of how your crush is responding to your flirtation. Like, are you leading them on? Are you being dishonest? Or are you being clear that this is just playful banter and you don't anticipate it going any further? Yeah. I mean, I, again, I think it, it depends on the individual's relationship. I don't think you can really make a comment that applies to all people. I think you have to look at your own relationship. And, and and even within your own relationship, I think it depends on how you're feeling. Like what I was comfortable with 18 years ago versus 10 years ago versus today are very different. And, and maybe depend- very different tomorrow too. And I think it depends on the source, the person. Oh my goodness. Yeah, right. I couldn't agree more. Like if I had a crush on, I don't know, somebody that I had to travel with for weeks on end and... Who also kind of triggered all of the things I felt insecure about. Right. Right? Like if they were, I don't know, if if it's some, and, and again, this is just my own insecurities, but if it's like, if this person, you know, owns, uh, you know, a number of super successful companies and flies jets all day and is shredded and does all the things, you know, is in, and is a professional chef and all, I'd be like, <laughs> hang, oh man. Hang on, you're getting me hot. Come on. <laughs> Like, come on! He can cook, too? Yeah, he can cook. Oh, lad. And not like cereal, like I can cook, which I know is a big deal. Actually, I just want to say that Brandon made his first meal. I'm mic dropping right now. He made his first meal from scratch last night. I'm a big boy. And what I loved is that one of the recipes is, is a Chinese recipe. So it's salmon with soy, honey, garlic, ginger, and green onion. So that's like the base for all of our food. Garlic, ginger, soy. And then honey. And then he, so that was from my mom's side. And then my stepdad, Luigi, makes just the plain garlic, parsley, butter, pasta. So that was on the side. And then something of his own, he... Shishito peppers. Super awesome. Yeah, charred shishito peppers. Because they're the easiest thing to make. Three minutes in a pan, man. A little salt and oil. I love, Done. I love that the guy who's made one meal is professing... Listen, which is the easiest meal to make? HGTV called. They said they wanted to show. I said okay. Okay, that's not even the Food Network. Whatever. Yeah, that's right. Good call. What What is HG? <laughs> I guess oh, they Home and Garden. <laughs> this guy's in real estate. Oh, folks. whatever. This guy's in real estate. Whatever. So to to go back to the crush conversation, I think it's important to remember that one partner, one person, cannot possibly fulfill every single one of your needs from the practical, to the emotional, to the passionate, to the sexual. So it is perfectly normal to look for other sources of excitement and fulfillment. And so you have to figure out what boundaries work for you. You have to discuss those with your partner. And you have to also sometimes accept that you're not going to be on the perfectly same page at all times. So these are conversations you want to have. And I think it's interesting because... I'll tell you, I think I'd have trouble if you kind of came to me and told me you had a crush, but I'd also want you to tell me because I like those feelings of trouble and jealousy. I always feel like I can use them in a 
in a constructive way, even if they make me uncomfortable. And that's something that I've had to grow into over time because I know after all these years that you're totally committed to me. Yeah. And in the past, I would have appreciated not knowing. And now today, I think I, I could at least listen and understand and gauge how I feel. Yeah. So I think the other thing to note is that it's normal to fantasize about other people, obviously. Um, there was a study out of the University of Vermont that revealed that 98% of men and 80% of women have fantasized about someone other than their current partner in the past two months. So this no. is the, <laughs> no. the vast majority of people. Uh, and these fantasies tend to increase as the relationship progresses because humans... We seek a balance of comfort and novelty. And so you find comfort with your partner and you can create novelty with your partner. In fact, I think you can you can learn from crushes. I think that, you know, does this does a crush develop in response to attention that this person is paying to you? If that's the case, maybe you want to talk to your partner about how they can pay attention to you in a way that you find attractive, validating, exciting. If the crush develops because Maybe you've been able to share some vulnerable information with this person and have deep conversations. If this is the case, maybe you want to look for ways to do so with your partner. I'm not suggesting that every crush arises in response to a relationship deficit. However, I do think a crush offers a good opportunity to learn more about what you want and to share this perspective and insight with your partner. All right, I also want to talk about cheating clauses. I have all these different topics that I've received this week from from listeners, from followers on Instagram. You make it uh, sound like it's like a contract and you're inserting a cheating clause or something. Well, this is interesting because I received a Twitter message this week from, let's call her Mary. And so she says, okay, a bunch of messages. She says, my husband and I travel for work and we have an agreement that if we're apart for more than a week, it's okay if we flirt and mess around on the road. No sex, no oral, just flirting, kissing, touching over the clothes, and not in a bedroom, and never with the same person twice. We have a whole bunch of rules. Uh, We don't do it often, but when we do, it's always hot to talk about when we come home. So I told my sister, she thinks I'm crazy, and she says I'm putting my marriage at risk. She calls this a cheating clause. But we've been happily married for 16 years, and it, it it's working for us. Both my sister and her husband have cheated on one another and they're struggling to rebuild their relationship. So she doesn't want me to go through the same thing. Is she right? Okay. So I'll start by saying I know so many couples who agree to sexual rules and loopholes if a specific number of conditions are met. And I wouldn't, and I don't think they would, consider it cheating because their arrangement ultimately precludes deception and you know I think onlookers like your sister might classify it as cheating but that's not how they see it and the only thing that matters is how they see their own relationship so I think you know what I'm going to say and that is please do what works for you and let your sister worry about her own relationship because it seems like her energy might be better invested in her own marriage. And this type of arrangement with specific rules is, I think, far more common than people want to admit. I mean, every couple has a set of rules. And 
yeah, I think some people are judgmental. Um, and I think some people are so judgmental that they will not believe you when you say that it works for you. And I think that their judgment is rooted in fear and projections. Uh, and maybe it's a claim of morality. But the reality is that every couple creates their own recipe for a happy, satisfying relationship. And no two couples can adhere to the exact same set of rules. Maybe she's jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'd have a hard time with that rule, just personally. Because I feel like, for me, sex, <clears throat> excuse me, is is very much... I'm like, uh, I'm snowballing here. Where the the more we engage, the more I want to do it. So the idea of like kissing and touching and then be like, okay, I'm out. Have a good night would be hard. I don't know. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, she said they don't do it in the room. So I'm assuming it's like, I don't know, in a bar in or a in a bar, restaurant or a then, car or something. I think, about, I think about too much of the practical side. I'm like, what if you're there with work people? What if somebody sees you and then they're judging you? Well, that's actually a big part of why people in consensually non-monogamous relationships, and I'm not suggesting that that's how Mary identifies, but a big part of the challenge isn't the consensual non-monogamy. It's the social stigma and judgment attached to relationship arrangements that are different from the norm. Yeah, I mean, I think it would just be very difficult if people were judging you. And clearly, this is why Mary is keeping it quiet, because even her own sister is judging her. And more importantly, why does her sister care? Sorry, man, but like her sister has a relationship that's struggling on its own, but she wants to judge somebody else whose relationship seems to be going just fine, given these rules that they have, because she's afraid of what's happened to her. And I understand. I mean, I do see her perspective. What if it escalates? What if it turns into something else? But it sounds like Mary and her partner have open lines of communication and have had some very difficult or some very difficult. Uh, deep conversations to get to this point where they are comfortable with one another. So I don't know. There's a whole lot going on there, but very interesting. Yeah, I think we're just uncomfortable with a reality that's different than our own. And I think it's important to remember that just just because you are not able to imagine sharing your partner with someone else, you have to remember that some folks can't imagine limiting their partner to themselves alone. And it's because something that works for one couple doesn't necessarily work for another. So I think, you know, if we were to leave it at that for for everyone out there, before you judge, I think it's important to take a deep breath, dig a little deeper and think about what you really fear about a particular relationship arrangement. Because, you know, your judgment is likely rooted in how this arrangement might threaten your own relationship and your reaction might even reveal more about your relationship than about anybody else's and I think this might be the case uh, you know with your sister here what I love about these case studies if you will (laughs) is that I hope that they get people talking I hope if nothing else if you're listening to this and then you go home and you're having a discussion with your partner you can talk about this sort of scenario to see how you both feel about it Because I think having these conversations or any opportunity to have a conversation deepens that connection that you have with your partner, that understanding with your partner. Yeah, and I think it staves off tension and conflict for the future. And we don't have the answers. There is no right answer. So, yeah, what Brandon said, I I really think our job is to start conversations because 
you can listen to our insights, but our insights pale in comparison to your own. Yeah, I mean, we're only speaking from the from the standpoint or the perspective of our own relationship. There's... Yeah, and I mean, we're looking at, I mean, I'm looking at data as well, yeah. but data is can be totally irrelevant. Even if something occurs in 99 cases or 9,999 out of 10,000, if you're the exception, then you are the exception. If you feel something, your emotional reaction is perfectly valid. I learned a lot today. Yeah? Yeah, I learned that. My expectations of the length of a of a BJ are significantly less oh my gosh. than the I, average. I learned that I only have to do it for 90 seconds. Yeah, seriously. I learned geez, so much that I don't like being called a work spouse. <laughs> yeah, we already knew that about <laughs> yeah, you. But we knew that. And I, I think it's always a good reminder because we we tend to see relationships as you know, specifically either dichotomized into monogamous and consensually non-monogamous. But there is, there exists so many shades of gray. And Mary's example is just one. That, for example, you can have rules that only apply in very specific scenarios and that can work for you. So wherever you're at, I hope you're feeling good. I hope you're willing to have some uncomfortable conversations, either with yourself, with a friend, with your partner. We're going to leave it at that. Say thank you so much to you for listening. Thank you to Desire Resorts for your ongoing support. And thanks, Brandon, for being here. Thank you. That was great. Have a great week. We'll be back next Friday and every Friday morning with a new episode. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.